The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, good morning, guys. I'm going to start my stopwatch. I've been told 25 minutes, not 26, because some of you are getting baptized today, huh? If you're getting baptized today with snow on the mountains, it really means you believe what you're doing. The rest of you that got baptized, 85 and sunny, maybe not so much. Hey, we're going to pray real quick, and then we're going to jump in. I've got a different approach for today, um, 25 minutes. Um, Matt claimed he was stuck in the snow. Thursday, I said, Josh, will you preach? I said, yes. Matt's right there, by the way. <laughs> just saying. All right, let's pray real quick. God, we just, we need more of you, not us in this room. We pray that you would bless us in our time. Amen. So, question for you. I wrote it out just like this. Have any of you ever worried or been anxious before? And then I wrote... That's a ridiculous question, because the reality is anxiety is almost a human experience, isn't it? You can be incredibly wealthy, have every need met, and you still feel worry. So, so what's going on with that? And, and, and maybe a better question is, what is worrying you right now? In reality, if you talk to anyone, they can tell you what's worrying you in a moment. They can typically share that with you very quickly. So how do we deal with anxiety, and, and, and how does Christmas and the coming of Christ have anything to do with that. And so we're going to dive into this today, and I'm going to go through a little bit of intro, because I want us to look at what anxiety looks like, and then we're going to look at Psalm 139. And in Psalm 139, I'm going to treat it like a, like a buffet. I'm going to walk through the buffet with you, and I'm going to show you all these interesting pieces to eat, and then I'm going to leave you with that for the week. So you're going to have a chance to go through it and think about it on your own. So let me think about this. Maybe even these questions, the thought, what makes you anxious makes you nervous. Worry and anxiety is something we all deal with at times. It almost feels like, like I said, a common human experience. Think about all the different things we worry about right here in this room, right? I know some of you worry about paying bills. Some of you worry about whether you're going to be loved, whether you'll ever marry. Some of you worry about, will my passion and what I love to do in life ever get me money? Or will I always have a side job? Some of you worry about what your kids are involved with or things that have hurt you in the past. Some of you worry about your addictions coming back. Some of you worry about temptation that has haunted you. Some of you worry about health. And some of you worry about worrying because you just have it all wrapped up in a ball. Fear and anxiety is not easy. It's complex. And the last thing I want to do here is trivialize that because we know it's complex. I found it interesting, right? These slogans, three easy steps to a worry-free life. We like the idea... But we know from our experience, it's not that easy. It's far more complex than that. And it actually feels pithy when somebody says, it's okay, I'm sure you'll find a job tomorrow, right? You're super talented, of course you will. We appreciate that, but we also recognize that deep down inside, that doesn't help us. So anxiety must be something different. So today I wanna talk about hope in the midst of anxiety. Do you hear that? Not how to get out of anxiety, not three easy steps to a worry-free life, but hope in the midst of anxiety. And here's how I define anxiety, and hopefully it'll be on the screen and behind me. I believe that anxiety whispers lies or partial truths to our heart about our situation. It tries to convince us of a future outcome that our God has not said. Do you see that? None of you ever worry about None of you ever come up and say, you know, I'm really worried, Josh, that next month I'm going to be too happy. It's always negative, right? 
That doesn't sound like God, does it? That almost sounds devilish. And so we want to take it that way. But let's be honest for a second. Um, we worry. You see, worry tries to be the loudest voice in our head. It tries to push a version of the truth into our hearts and our minds. It tries to tell us an ending to our situation that is not known. It dances the possibilities in always bad ones, right? In front of our face. This is why anxiety is so effective. It takes the unknowns of the future, projects outcomes and possibilities. Let's be honest for a minute. Worry gets us focused on the bad endings and we become consumed with trying to address them. Let me, let me illustrate this for a second, how anxiety works. And it always spirals downward, doesn't it? And it's difficult to stop. Let me, let me give you some examples here. If I don't get a job, my bills will be due. I won't pay my rent and then I'll get evicted and then I'll have to live on the mean streets of LA in a tent or worse, I'll have to live with my parents. <laughs> what about you who, who are looking for relationship? No one will ever love me. I'll be alone, I will begin that collection of cats, my friends will drift away, and I will die alone, right? You see how that spirals, right? All the way down to you're dying alone in 25 years. Or maybe you're a parent with young kids, and you finally, your kid has slept through the night. For the first time, you wake up at 7 a.m., you realize you haven't got up for a feeding. What is the only logical conclusion in your mind at that point? Your kid has died in its sleep. That is the only conclusion you have. So you run into the room and you shake this poor sleeping child to affirm that they're awake. See, that's how fear works, right? We don't go, hey, they slept through the night. They're dead. They're immediately, they're dead. Child's supposed to be home at 10.01. They got their license. At 10 o'clock, it's 10.01. What's happened? They've dead. They're, they've driven off a cliff. They're definitely 100% dead. And that's fear and anxiety, isn't it? And it's humorous in one sense, but we recognize that in our own heart. So, but how do we react to this, right? Anxiety always has its reasons. It's not that these aren't possibilities, right? It's not that it says something outrageous. It says possible truth. But again, these are outcomes that God has not said. How do we react to worry? Well, here's a couple different options here, and then we'll get into Psalm 139. Some of us are closer downers. We become paralyzed, right? We curl up in that ball and we allow the anxiety just to wash over us as we remain paralyzed, frozen in place. Some of you are planners. Where's my planners? Right, we're going to solve this anxiety. I'm going to get every possible solution and get all the variables together and we're going to fix this anxiety one plan at a time until about a month later we're exhausted and we fall asleep for about a week, and then we get back at it again, right? It's about one month on, one week off, one month on, and then we go for a long time at that pace. Or maybe you're a complainer, right? You just tell everyone how hard it is. Maybe you're an envier. They always have it better. Maybe you're a bargainer. God, please, I'll do this. Just please give me, get me out of whatever it is. Maybe you're a defense builder, right? Never going to let that happen again. I'm going to put all these things in place in my life to keep me safe from whatever this fear that I have is. Maybe you're a get it over with her. Let's just get it over with. I'm going to be homeless. Might as well move on to the streets now. Maybe you're a denier. Nothing's wrong with me. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, your life's a mess. You're literally on fire almost, and you're saying it's fine. Maybe you're, as I am, a delicious combination of all these things, right? You love to bounce around. 
So what do we do when we feel anxiety? And this is where I want to spend our time today is, great, Josh, you've described anxiety well, and in fact, I'm feeling more nervous than ever because what do I do with this? And here's the reality. So let me read this, and it should be on the screen. Here's what we do when we feel anxiety. We speak God's truth to our hearts louder and more often than the fear that anxiety whispers. And we bring others who love God to join us when our voice gets weak and tired. Do you hear that? You speak truth to your heart against the anxiety. And when your voice gets tired, you bring others in to teach, preach truth to you. Do you see that? This is soul-satisfying answers. It's not easy, but it's soul-satisfying answers. And so here's what I want to do. Get your Bibles out, and if you're a note-taker, you're going to probably want to write quickly, because I'm going to go quick through this. There are, Psalm 139 is written by David, and I believe Psalm 139 has six questions that are not in the text, but that David answers. So I'm going to read what I think his question is, and then we're going to look at his answer. And all this has to do with truths that we can tell ourselves when we're anxious. And there's 27 of them. So this is the buffet, right? So this week you get to look at Psalm 139, you get to go through it slower than I'm going to go through it, and you're going to look at these 27 truths, and I'm going to tell them to you, and then we're going to conclude with how Christmas gives us hope in this. Okay? We do that? And then we're going to go baptize people and watch them go into shock and revive them when the water comes out, all right? So let's do that together. So let's look at Psalm 139. Here's question number one. Here's question number one. What if in my fear and anxiety no one understands? What if no one gets what I'm going through? What if I'm alone? What if no one cares? What if no one knows what I've been through? Doesn't that sound like fear? anxiety. So let's read Psalm 139 verses 1 through 5, and you're going to spot some answers here. I love this psalm. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. There's a few truths we want to pull out here from this section. Truth number one, we can tell ourselves, God is committed to an intimate relationship with you. Look at the psalm. Search me, know me, says intimately acquainted. And then I love this part. Even before there's a word on my tongue, you know it all. Have you ever been in a spot where you're like, I can't even get the words out. I, don't even, I can't even describe what I'm feeling. You have a God who goes, I already know it. I know what you're feeling. You can't even put it to words yet, but I know that. Hope number one. Truth number two, God knows how hard and tiring it is. He says here in the passage, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. I like to think about this as God going, I know when you're done and you just sit down. And I know when you're ready to go again. And it's not judgmental. He doesn't say, how dare you sit down? Well, I thought this was always about going. He says, I know when you're sitting down. I know when you're done. And I know when you rise up. Truth number three, he's committed to your protection. So here, get your hands out. This is where you guys participate. He says in the passage, ready, follow me. I enclose you behind. Get your hands. I see no hands. Close you behind and before and get your third hand ready and on top. What does that look like? Yeah. Do you see God's hands? I've enclosed you behind and before and laid my hand on top. 
Have you ever realized that in your anxiety and fear that God's hands are literally wrapped around you? Isn't that good to know? I remember in my own life where I was super anxious for a week at a time. And I had a three by five card in my pocket with a truth that I had to remember. And it was one of these sort of truths. And I always had what I call 10 minutes. I'd look at it and go, yes. I put it in my pocket and 10 minutes later, I had completely forgotten it. My heart was all worried again. And I had to pull it back out and it was all day long. And this is some of these moments. That's why you get your hands out, guys. You can do this with yourself in the day. You can even do it to people across a room. And they get it, right? My God has you. Question number two. What if no one can find me? What if I've gone too far from God? What if someone else takes me to a place I don't want to go? What if I'm alone? What if I'm forgotten? What if I'm not worth finding? Let's read seven verses seven to then. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Here's truth in this part. Truth number one. If you are God's child, you cannot outrun God. Look at this. David asked the question, where can I flee from your presence? He was, he was asking the question, can I run from you such that you cannot even find me again? Can I be in such a dark place, God, that you cannot get me? And remember, this is David. He's doing a couple things here, right? He lived in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the heart and the presence of God. He does this thing. He goes, what if I go up or down or left or right, right? That's the whole ascend to heaven, down to Sheol, see the dawn. He was going north, south, east, west. He was painting the picture saying, what if I go so far that God can't find me? What if I do something in my life and screw it up so badly that he won't want me back? Truth number two, no one else can take you beyond where your God cannot and will not find you. So some of you don't worry about you running. You've been in places where people have taken you to bad places. Maybe it's a child. As a child, you have memories of things that were done to you. Maybe in relationships now. And you say, it was dark. Can God find me there? And you know what the beautiful answer is? Yes. Can I also say something else? And I said this actually in our community group recently. Um, How stupid is it to hunt one of God's children? Think about that for a second. Evil done to God's children. How dumb is that? The God of all creation is going to come and find that child. And that is just a dangerous place. And I want to give comfort to those of you who have been in dark places and recognize that your God is still there and that he fights for you. And we'll get into that in a second. Truth number three, our past cannot take us so far that God cannot come and rescue us. And we kind of hinted at that earlier. You see, our anxiety says that our lives are so messed up that, it's, that we're of no use. And yet God's truth says something different. I love this part. He says this, he goes, even there my hand will lead you and my right hand will lay hold of you. When the Bible uses the word right hand, he's not just anti-left-handed people, right? The right hand means strength. God goes, my stronger hand, I am strong enough to go grab you where you are and I will lead you again. And that's the hope we have. And that's a wonderful truth. All right, question number three. What if the darkness wins? 
What if the darkness is stronger? What if I can't see? What if I don't know what to do next? What if no one sees me? What if I don't know what to do? Verse 11 through 12 says this. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Truth number one, you're right, you can't see always. Do you see what the psalmist says here? If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, he recognizes even the darkness is not dark to you. He doesn't deny the darkness. He says, when it's dark and I can't see, I know that my God can what? Can see. So here's the thing. You're right. You cannot see. Admit your limitations and admit that it's dark. There's hope in that. Not that we can't see, but because our God can see. Do you hear that? Truth number two, God can see perfectly. He knows the next step, the next move, and the next plan. Remember, just because you can't see doesn't mean God can see. He can see fine. Truth number three, the light of God is fighting the darkness in your heart. You are not hidden. Darkness has not dragged you into a corner to beat you. God sees you and knows exactly where you are. See, there's two parts of this. What if God can't see me? What if it's so dark and I'm in a place that even God can't find me? God is never looking around and going, whoa, I just lost one of my kids. And he starts to do that like hand thing in the dark room, right? And find him. He knows exactly where you are. And he's committed to that. Remember, when it's dark for you, it is not dark for God. Truth number four, God is not overwhelmed. You may be, but he is not. There's a statement out there. God will not give you more than you can handle. Kind of not true, right? Can we just call that one as it is? He often gives us more than we can't handle. But the real thing is, he never does something that he can't handle. And there's more truth to that. You will reach your limit often in fear and anxiety. And that's okay. Because your God, who is infinite, has not run out of the power and strength you need. My situation is not dependent on my ability to know or to be able to handle the situation. That's God's responsibility. Question four. What if I physically don't work right? What if I'm broken? What if I'm weak? What if I can't handle it? What if I'm not made for this? What if this ends badly? Let's read 13 through 18. For you, that is God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hid from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am with you. Five truths here, ready? Truth number one, you are designed. God is the artist, you are the canvas. He has made you just right for his purpose. There's the hard part. 
but I really wanted to be a model, God. God goes, yeah, I know, but I didn't have that for you. Formed, fearfully and wonderfully made, skillfully. Isn't that wonderful? He didn't make a mistake, but God, I would have really liked to have been, yeah, 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 I get it, but I made you just right. Here's truth number two. God is stronger than the broken things. That's the next question you had in your mind, right? Yeah, but I don't work right. There's something failing in my body or my mind. Here's the truth to this. God is able to create and build beautiful things from the things that have been broken. And isn't this kind of his thing? Isn't the whole Bible really that story? Taking broken things and making them beautiful for him. Let me read something else here. Yeah, but God, what about little six-month-old babies? Can't even do it. We're diagnosed with CP because their moms did meth. Do you have hope for them? They may not walk right. Yeah, beautiful things out of brokenness, right? If we don't have that hope, what are we doing? We'll never step toward broken things because God uses broken things. Woo! Truth number three. I love this one. You are invincible until God says so. (laughs) Think about that for a second. Listen to this. How pr- uh, in your book is written all the days that were ordained for me as in that were not one. God's like, this is how many days it is. You are invincible until I say so. Doesn't that help? Not marginally bullet resistant. Invincible until God says so. And then when he says so, guess what? He says so. And there's nothing else to do. But the beautiful part of it is, is that we go into his arms at that point. So even then we are cared for, right? One of the rules we have in our family is it's okay to die. If you're in him, it's okay to die. We don't need to fear that. Truth number four, God is smiling on you and God has a plan for you. I love this. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God? How vast is the sum? Truth number five, God never leaves you. When I am awake, I am with you. Ever been afraid to fall asleep? The worries are there. But knowing that when you wake up, God is there with you. Isn't that wonderful? All right, question number five. You need to hold on to your theological hat for a moment, okay? Just bear with me here. And this is where the Christmas is going to come. You don't believe me? Just give me a moment. Question number five. What if God took on evil? What if I needed to be rescued from sin? What if there's evil hunting me? What if God hated what has been done to me in my past? What if I wasn't alone in facing my sin? What if God was stronger than the evil? What if God took sin and evil serious? All right, let's read. Got your hats held on tight? Here it goes. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, men of bloodshed, for they speak evil against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I hate those who hate you, O Lord? I loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with the uttermost hatred, they have become my enemies. Yeah, this is the part of the Bible you don't like, right? How does David just suddenly get to this? Let's look at the truth of this. God hates evil. And for some of you, that is deeply comforting. 
because evil has been done to you. And knowing that your God is not okay with it is deeply comforting to those who have been hurt. He is not passive in his view of evil and what we see and experience. Truth number two, evil will be dealt with. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked. And we're going to get here. Just breathe for a second. Hold on a second before you guys get all riled up. God, evil will be dealt with. Truth number three, God hates the sin. What sin, sorry, God hates what sin does to his children. Think about that for a second. He made his children and sin comes and hurts us, doesn't it? It hurts our lives. We hurt others in the process. God doesn't like that. Truth number five, and this is where, the, this is where Christmas comes, ready? God doesn't like sin so much that he moved heaven and earth and gave up everything and came as a baby to die on the cross so that we can be rescued and that evil can be destroyed. Do you see that? There's the gospel. There's the cross. If you want to know where grace and God's hatred of evil come together, it's at the cross where God pounds evil to death by dying on the cross so that sin doesn't have to haunt us and that we can be freed. Do you see that? And that's David's heart right there in the psalm. He's saying, God, can you just win? Can you win the evil first within me? And can you win the evil that I see? And God's answer was yes. See, evil is in deep trouble. The baby is a very dangerous baby. If you're evil, because that baby came to die, to crush evil to death. And do you see the hope in that? We can step toward hard things because we know that our God is against the evil that we see. And here's my last thing, question number six. What if this is all true? What if God stepped into my worry and my anxiety? What if I believed God more than my worry? Let's read verses 23 and 24. It's my favorite part. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Truth number one, being open and honest with God about your worries is essential to relationship with him. Do you see that? Psalmist gets all the way to the end and he says, God, what if I was more honest with you? And you got into my heart, into those dark crevices, those places that I'm really not interested in you seeing. And what if you looked into those places and you found the hurt that is giving me worry? And God, what if you dealt with that hurt? That's actually scarier than it thinks, isn't it? We all want God in our lives until he gets into our lives. And then we start going, how about we just kind of put some barriers up here? Boundaries are healthy, God. I'm going to put some boundaries around you so you don't get into my life. This almost arrives at a different point here. And this is our last section on question six here. God is the only one to do heart work. See, often we work on the symptoms of anxiety, right? When the issue is deeper in our heart. God does heart work. Truth number three. God knowing you to your core is soul satisfying. Truth number four. 
God is committed to removing hurt from your heart. See, he, he says here, would you try me? This is a pressing. Would you press on my heart, God? And what comes out of it is hurt. When you squeeze me, hurt comes out. Can you go in there and find that hurt, right? Truth number five. God is working on the issues below the anxiety that we experience, and that will lead to life. Anxiety is the symptom. Deeper down is the heart issue. God is committed to getting to the heart issue. Truth number six, God is worth trusting. That's it. 27 truths, one psalm, 25 minutes. We did it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray real quick. I've got a couple announcements for baptisms. And then we're going to go from here. God, we just look at this psalm and how many truths we now have in our hearts to speak to ourselves or to others to help us with our anxiety. God, we want to be more than just symptom addressers in our fear. We want to be heart addressers that allows you to look into our heart and address the fear. I pray that you'd bless us in your name. Amen.